What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Thrive Global is helping the world's leading enterprises and their people build healthy habits through actionable micro steps to help navigate the challenging time with less stress and greater resilience. Started by Ariana Huffington, Thrive Global helps companies such as Walmart, Microsoft, SAP, and Bank of America, and many, many other firms. Find out more at thriveglobal.com. You're listening to Planet Purpose from Inc. Magazine. Today's episode, how purpose can help leaders deal with the new age of employee activism. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Planet Purpose. I'm Scott Goodson. I'm Yolanda White. And I'm Chip Walker. The pressures of living with COVID have swept through society here in the U.S. and around the world the past 18 months. We've seen mm-hmm. all kinds of street protests. We've seen activism. We've also witnessed a completely new level of employee activism, challenging the traditional structures of management, putting new pressures on leaders who weren't taught how to deal with this new reality in business school. This week, the Los Angeles Times wrote that Home Depot punished staff for BLM activism. Two weeks before that, they wrote that the president of activism Vision Blizzard was ousted after discrimination lawsuits and company employees walked out globally. Then labor regulators in California sued the video game giant over allegations that the company systematically discriminated against female employees and failed to address pervasive frat boy workplace culture that led multiple women to quit and may have contributed to one worker's suicide. These are merely two examples of how employees are protesting wrongs inside large and successful organizations. So what is happening here? Well, um, you know, clearly employee activism is, is here and it's here to stay. I think it's just going to become more and more of a defining component for a lot of workplaces and organizations. I think what's really spreading it, though, is just social media. I mean, employees are people, after all. They read the news. They see the issues we're all facing. Mm. And they're bringing all these points of view to work. I think more and more the workplace is a peer-to-peer environment. It's a situation where employees get their cues from other employees, not the C-suite which is what we used to see. I think increasingly people are aware of things like climate change. They may have lived through things like fires or hurricanes or floods. And they're also aware of things like inequality and how their companies may or may not be contributing to it. And I think it's particularly true for millennials and and, uh, Gen Z. Interesting. Yolanda, what do you think? Chip, I think you make such a great point. And if I were to just build on that, I think it's a really challenging time to be a CEO in America. I mean, you can see from the reactions of most companies, it really does show that these leaders are ill-equipped to handle their outspoken employees as they begin to raise up, you know, more feelings about what's important to them. Like just the movement, I think you mentioned it, Scott, around Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, equality, inclusion. I mean, we can keep going down the number of issues that, you know, companies and leaders are faced with and these growing pressures from investors targeting environmental, societal, ESG goals, I think is something that's at the forefront. Mm, Interesting. I mean, there's a really wonderful business professor, Charles Dunaraj. I think you know him, Chip. I think we spoke to him a few times. Yeah. 
And two other authors published an article uh, in the Harvard Business Review, I think it was last year, called Put Purpose at the Core of Your Business Strategy. And what was clear was that having a clearly defined purpose at the core of your business was incredibly effective in helping leaders prepare for change and volatility, including employee activism. It really does a great job of preparing you and the C-suite for the, all the, not everything, of course, you know, there's so many things that come at you, but definitely what we're talking about now, employee activism. And in my experience, having a purpose on its own is not going to help you. Mm -hmm. You really do need to go through the process of activating inside the organization or what we call at Starby Frog, this idea of like movement inside that really engages not just the C-suite, but middle management and right down through the whole organization. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And you know, if you're a business leader, I think these days it can kind of feel like you're in the middle of a minefield. Any missteps you have in handling things like employee activism do a ton of damage. But I think a good example recently has been uh, Wayfair, Mm. which has been in the news. And they basically had a, uh, what I'll call a non-response to employees asking the company to stop supplying furniture to these inhumane immigrant holding facilities that they were supplying furniture to. And it resulted in uh, pretty well publicized walkouts by employees. And it brought a lot of negative attention to the company. Uh, They just ignored it. Another example uh, you probably heard about is Amazon's recent crackdown on employee activism around former unions. And it's reportedly resulted in a lot of employees just resigning and quitting uh, just at a time when when they need more employees than ever. And so, you know, just as a solution to all this, you know, at Strawberry Frog, we've been helping companies and leaders deal with this kind of challenge and and with employees' feelings and activisms for for a long time, for 20 years or more. And what we found is that when you activate purpose to the people who, who really matter inside the organization, you're better prepared for these kind of challenges over social issues that employees increasingly uh, care a lot about. I think there was a time when CEOs and other business leaders like uh, CHROs or CMOs would demand compliance, but today that just doesn't cut it. People won't comply just because leaders demand it. So Scott, as you were saying, I totally agree. I think the best way is to define your purpose, then bring employees into how you're activating it rather than giving them a mandate. Let them be part of building it. Uh, And I think when you do that, you build a lot of trust and a lot of motivation. So, right. It's so interesting. I mean, just, I don't know if you noticed that uh, Amazon has surpassed Walmart now as the largest retailer in the United States. What do you think, Yolanda? Yeah, I'll jump right in. I mean, I was about to say end of show, like, you know, Chip just broke it down like in detail, but um, (laughs) I totally agree. I mean, you know, I could just tell you from my personal experience and, you know, being at the upper echelons of corporate America, there are two things that I have felt like there were moments where I felt really isolated as I have passion around specific issues and societal issues in particular. And then there were times that I felt like I really had a voice. So there was one thing like I created with our president of North America, and it sounds a little corny right now, but I called it word on the street to give insight about things that really mattered and things that were bubbling up within our organization. And I think in our last podcast, we talked to Laura and one of the things she continued to emphasize is the need to listen. Mm. And at Coke, there was an opportunity for for me to have a voice for other people so that our leaders were still listening and we were listening to each other so we could bubble things up that were important. I'll tell you when Obama was first elected as president and there was like an uproar with some of our employees who just didn't feel like a African-American man should be president. They wrote a racial slur in our elevators. It never got publicized, but it was one of those things. I remember taking that to our word on the street conversation and immediately Mm. it really really was the first time I saw my company step up and deliver real-time information about our values and the fact that discrimination
discrimination was not a part of who we were as a company and as people. So, you know, I think if you have the right leaders who are listening and who are willing to make the move and take action on it, it really does begin to drive a, you know, a culture that I could believe in and I could support and stay there and work there and feel motivated because they were addressing things that matter to me. So, you know, Chip, as you started laying out some of the work that Strawberry Frog has been doing, of course, I know the power of the work that you guys have done because I've worked with Strawberry Frog from Coca-Cola days. And I know like it can be very appealing and inspiring when you lay out the right story for employees and when they know that their voices are being heard. So long story, but yeah, I, I totally agree. And I felt it from both ends of a little isolation at times, but then an outlet to begin to drive change within my organization aligned with the values that are connected with me. So were we the, were we the most fun partners? You oh my gosh, with? you know, Strawberry Frog is hottest? not fun, hottest, strategic, the coolest, the breakthrough, hottest. coolest. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you already know what it is. Right. <laughs> uh, I think, I think you make a great point. You know, when you're faced with, uh, in this case, the discrimination or any challenges leader, if you've got those values and you really, you fall back on those, it's like having a rudder on a sailboat in a storm, you know, you just, yeah have a purpose and you're able to kind of get there and, you know, tell people what you stand for. Yep. You know, with the rise of employee activism, we kind of moved past the sort of idolization of a single leader like Elon Musk, I think. I mean, yes, he's successful, but I think most other companies aren't like Elon Musk. And I think the opposite of one leader is everyone at every level in your organization. And I think that's why a movement inside the organization is the opposite of Elon Musk and why, you know, the understanding that- But I do love him. Yeah, sure. Except, okay. you know, there's some challenges associated to <laughs> that type He's of uh, leadership. I yeah, I mean, people love him. And yet, I don't know how many people within the organization love working in that place, <laughs> because it's very much a Napoleonic uh, type of organization. But one thing that's clear in this situation, where you've got employees with strong points of view is, it has a negative impact if you've got a leader who is at the very top pushing through how people should behave versus building a common understanding and a common motivation. To me, there's a, a benefit in the, in the latter when you come to these sort of road bumps that we've been talking about. Activate Brand Purpose is the new book focused on helping you lead with purpose. The insights in Activate Brand Purpose are supported by data from the first empirical study of purpose-driven brands. Activate Brand Purpose helps you do just that. It's available now on Audible. Okay, this conversation brings us to today's topic, how purpose can help leaders deal with the new age of employee activism. We are bringing into the show a new friend of Planet Purpose, woohoo, Woo Abdel Aziz, founder and chief purpose officer of The Conspiracy of Love, a certified B Corp and purpose consultancy advising large firms such as Adidas, Unilever, and Mondelez, and many more. Please welcome Afdel. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Great to have you. Thank you for having me, Chip, Yolanda, Scott. Scott, I'm going to start pronouncing the name of my company like that, Conspiracy of Love. Like, love. <laughs> yeah. very white, 1977. Exactly. The only yeah. way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. the podcast. Thanks for inviting me to come and join this conversation. Yeah, it's an important topic, and we're really glad to have uh, more brains here discussing it. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and I'll jump right in, Afdel. There's some stats that are really interesting. One in four workers are considering quitting their jobs after mm. the pandemic. And hey, I'm going to throw this out to you. Why do you believe this is happening now, and what do you think leaders can do to stem the tide? 
All right. So we're going to talk about a topic that's dear to my heart, which is also individual purpose, right? Mm. I think we, you guys spend a lot of time talking about brand and corporate purpose, but the third part of this trifecta is individuals, right? You know, we just spent the last four years researching this new book, The Principles of Purpose. I'm going to give it a bit of a shout out and a plug here. Yeah. Hey, it's a great book. <laughs> Thank you very much, Scott. And uh, we spent the last four years interviewing employees at 27 different companies like Tesla and Patagonia and Chobani and Mattel, who each had found a sense of personal purpose in what they were doing and it manifested at, at Yeah, that stat is pretty powerful. Right? And so this is really, I think, the new holy grail for companies is how do you give your employees a sense of meaning in the work that they're doing? Meaning alongside money is now mm. rising up in the ranks as something that to be desired. And when you look at individual purpose, right, and where people get it from, they get it from a multitude of places. They get it from their family, their faith, their neighborhood, maybe being part of an a community organization, historically, the one place that they never expected it was at work. It was really rare. You used to call it like a calling, like something mystical had happened when mm. somebody found their true vocation. But the weird thing now in all the research that we're seeing is that this is now just becoming the expectation. If you're going to spend eight hours a day, every day, you know, the majority of the time in your life at work, well, shouldn't your work be a place that gives you meaning as well? The other thing we found out was that there was this real pattern where a lot of the way people found meaning and purpose was it started with an act of trauma. It started with something going wrong. You know, they nearly died. Somebody close to them died. They were in a natural disaster. And that thing caused a crack in the universe that was big enough for them to start thinking about their purpose and why they existed. What's fascinating about the moment we are in right now is just that we had a societal level of trauma happen with COVID-19. Mm. Everybody on the planet has been through it. Everybody has suffered from it. So that statistic, Yolanda, that you yeah. that, that you mentioned, one in four employees are thinking about leaving their jobs. The other statistic that I love is about the number of people thinking about their own purpose and how much they think that is something which is now becoming paramount in their decision making. The statistic is nearly two thirds of U.S.-based employees said that COVID-19 has caused them to reflect on their purpose in life. This is a McKinsey incredible report 2021 report so think about that societal moment of trauma people are like what am i doing with my life mm. <laughs> yeah. next question is does my job give me that purpose and that's why we're about to see the biggest game of musical chairs in a long time as all these people 25 yeah. percent of the workforce now start to look for jobs with meaning so i think it's mm. going to be fascinating what happens next yeah, yeah. Well, another another stat that I saw that I thought was interesting is from uh, Edelman a survey that said 50% of workers say they're more likely now than a year ago to voice objections to management or even engage in workplace protest. So we've seen this firsthand with in recent uh, kind of employee uprisings, if you will, at, at places like Activision, which I think Scott mentioned earlier, Adidas and some other places. How do leaders manage through things like this? So all of this soul searching coupled with Chip, what you said, the arrival of millennials and Gen Z into the workforce with vastly different mm -hmm. expectations of their parents of, of work and of leadership. This has now created a really interesting moment. And we, we talk about the rise of employee activism in the new book as being one of the three tectonic shifts that's driving purpose. The other two are conscious consumers and, and impact investors. And so you're seeing these guys arrive into workforces fresh off the backs of the 2008 financial crisis, by the way, where they saw their parents work 40 years in a job that they hated to get mm. a pension plan that disappeared, to buy a house that disappeared. And they're like, why the hell would I do that? Like, why would I just, why would I just repeat that, right? 
So now they're like uh, also entering a job market where they know their worth. They know they can find jobs anywhere. They know they're not going to stay in one company for the rest of their life. Hmm. Their challenge to their leadership is, hey, you want to use fancy words in your purpose statement like integrity and respect and inclusivity and everything. Well, you better back that up with proof. You hmm. better show hmm. me the proof of all these nice words. And what is fascinating is now is what you used to see with blue collar jobs, like with union jobs, with people striking and walkouts and actively protesting. You are now seeing with white collar jobs. That's the what. That's what's fascinating. This is Activision. This is Adidas. This is Facebook. This is Wafer. It's white collar worker activism. People openly standing up to their employee employees, writing letters to the New York Times, getting their management fired. You know, it's like that old horror movie where they say the call is coming from inside the house. It's like mm. for the CEO, they're like, "Oh my God, it's not coming from inside the house now. I don't have to worry about just getting canceled by consumers. My own employees are going to cancel me." And from mm. if I don't get this right as well, you know, so it's a fascinating moment that we're in. And Chip, to your question, how do you deal with this? Well, Yolanda said it best. First, you got to start by listening. You have to shut up as a leader and spend some time listening to what's going on and really taking the pulse of what's happening. And this is, by the way, where ERGs are a fantastic resource. ERGs, you should consider them like early warning radar. <laughs> of what's happening inside your company, employees passionate enough to self-organize around topics of interest, right? Whether that's diversity, LGBTQ, wh whatever that is, right? Pay attention to what they're telling you because they are distilling down, you know, the messages that are coming up and a good CEO should be, should be paying very close attention to them. By the way, also, please pay your ERGs. Please pay them to do that work. I don't know if you've seen this. I think LinkedIn said we're going to give $10,000 a month or $10,000 a year if you're running an ERG. Hmm. It is I wish I would have had that benefit. I yeah. know, right? Uh, I ran it for years at Coca-Cola. Amazing. And you know how much hard work it was, right, Yolanda? In it addition was, to it your day job. So anyway, I'm, I'm going on about this, but the first rule is I listen. Uh, if, if I had to give one piece of advice, start things off. So finding your purpose is really a starting point, which makes complete sense. How do you tie finding your purpose to a company's greater purpose? I think it's the question that all leaders need to be asking themselves right now, right? So one of the stats that I know you guys are familiar with is this fascinating Gallup poll that said 87% of employees are disengaged at work, right? Mm. They're not engaged. And so when you, when you look at the 13% and you go, well, why are they engaged? It boils down to Daniel Pink covered this in this fantastic book, Drive, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy is the ability to do something self-directed work. No one's micromanaging you. Mastery is you're really good at the craft of what you do. You take pride in the technical expertise. Mm. And purpose is feeling like that work matters more than just a quarterly profit number to aim for. You mm -hmm. feel like your work has meaning and substance that it, it's going to leave something behind. It's a legacy that you're proud of that you can say to your kids, hey, I did this, right? And so this is what is puzzling. There is so many, so much focus on learning and development around autonomy and mastery, but there's nothing around purpose or very little. Right. And so this is kind of some of the work that we do with Conspiracy of Love when we go into some of these companies and we use a methodology called GPS to help mm. very quickly triangulate employees' purpose with that of the company. Uh, and I'll explain it briefly. It's invented by a wonderful thinker called True Pettigrew. Shout out to True, uh, who is our purpose guru and coach. And when we go and do these large scale workshops with like HP and Microsoft and Athleta and people like that, we, we ask employees, what is your G is, what is your gift? What is your corporate superpower? What is the thing that you do better than anybody else? Uh, if you went to your 10 closest colleagues and said, what am I amazing at? This is what they'd all say, right? 
The P is what you're passionate about. And we use passion in the sense of passionate as a citizen. Like what are the issues or causes or things that you just feel make you want to get out of bed and, you know, do something about it. And the S is how you can be of service because purpose is never about yourself. It's always about being in service to something bigger or greater than you. And that's where we connect it back to the purpose of the company. If that company has a very clearly defined purpose, and this is, you know, this is got what you guys do at Strawberry Fog, connecting that sense of individual purpose to that company purpose, not all of it, right? Because remember, an individual's purpose comes from multiple sources, but enough of that connective tissue is in sync with what the company is there to do. That's when you have something really powerful that's unlocked. We think like mm -hmm. that's how you spark those movements in the first place by getting in alignment with your assignment. And mm -hmm. I think I that's that. where it's not about manipulating emotions. It's not about trying to like, you know, guilt trip people into doing this. But in these companies that we call like purpose Jedis in the book, like people who really cracked it, mm -hmm. like that's what we found. They they created a space where people bring their whole selves to work. They contribute their unique gifts uh, according to what they're passionate about. And it's in sync with that of the company as well. I absolutely love that. I was literally getting chills. I was like, okay, but what's my gift? What's my passion and my service? Like that's a hard question. And it's a question that's multi-layered that requires mm. employees to be honest about it. So when you're able to start those honest discussions with employees, I really do believe like it gives them a sense of being connected. Mm. So one of the things you said, like first listening is definitely key. When do you go to action and how do you go to action? Mm. Given the fact that there are constantly environmental and societal concerns that are bubbling up, you know, underneath the surface. Is there any thought or rule of thumb about how, when, how deep you go into action just to address yeah. what people are telling you? Yeah. So th there's a couple of principles in the book that are worth unpacking here. So one of the principles is purpose is about picking your sword and shields, right? And this is language we actually found at Unilever, which we thought was brilliant. A shield is those issues which you need to have a good position on as a company. I would argue sustainability is a shield for any company. I would argue DNI is a shield for any, comp any company. You better have a have plan in place. That's just hygiene and table stakes, right? Mm. The sword is the crusade, is the problem in the work world the company says. We're going to go fix that problem, right? Mm. And being super clear about your sword, which is your, your company's purpose, helps you decide what to weigh in on. <laughs> right? Because there are going to be some things that your leadership will look at you and go, you better have a position on that, right? And there are going to be some things that maybe you should just let that one fly past you because absolutely purpose doesn't have to be political. There's only very few companies who can be activist companies. Patagonia can be an activist company, right? But for 99% of companies, it's really hard to go touching like that third rail of American politics. And, you know, suddenly all your time is consumed by just dealing with it. So get clarity on your sword and make sure you have a point of view in all those things that you expect your companies to lead on. Here's the other principle, but sometimes purpose is about putting your money where your mission is, right? Mm. Truly purpose-driven companies will risk profitability. They will risk the anger of half of their consumer base if they truly feel like they're standing up for their values. And you see this time and time again in really unusual places. So I would argue that everyone goes to like Nike and Colin Kaepernick as that example, but here's some, another one. CVS sacrificing $2 billion a year in tobacco revenue and saying our purpose is to be a healthcare company, we can't be that and sell tobacco products at the same 
time. Great example. Bill Burnback, the advertising legend, had this great quote: "A principle is only a principle if it costs you money. Otherwise, it's not really a principle." You know. So when you see companies saying we're going to sacrifice profitability, Dick Sporting Goods and Walmart's taking assault weapons off their shelves and saying we're going to sacrifice this revenue, that is when consumers look at a company and go, "Okay, you're not just bullshitting me. This isn't just some fancy thing. You're really walking the walk, not just talking the talk as well." You know. So. This is what great leaders need to do today. They have to really understand the issues. They shouldn't take a swing at every single one that comes their way. But when it, it's time for swift and decisive action, doing so will win you the respect of all of your stakeholders, your employees, your consumers, and the world at large as well. You. Are obviously an incredible consultant and, and a wonderful steward of purpose. And I think a lot of business leaders listening to this podcast are sitting there going, "Yeah, sure, yeah, I'm going to get out there and talk about social issues. I can't talk about social issues. I I really don't have the experience or the expertise." I think having a strong consultant beside you to kind of say, okay, nudging you, like here's where you can lean in. Here's maybe a way of articulating that point of view. I think as you described it, I felt really comfortable. Almost, I would like to have you beside me, <laughs> Afdal, talking through the challenges. But、uh, anyway, Chip. You had a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the whole episode we've been talking about the fact that what we're seeing more and more is that talented employees are leaving their jobs and going to competitors because they're dissatisfied with with the way leadership's dealing with some issue that's really important to them. And the problem is that these leaders are are often just still clueless. They have not caught up to this reality yet. Yeah. How do you avoid this kind of what what we call kind of an optimism bubble in the C-suite? Where they think everything is okay, but in reality they're just out of touch. How do you avoid that? Yeah, it's a great question, Chip. So the first thing I we always counsel Scott to your point is leaders have to understand their own purpose. They have to go on a journey of self-actualization and self-awareness to understand what's in their hearts. Right in the book, we say today a 21st century leader needs to have the brain of a CFO, the heart of a storyteller, and the soul of an activist. Right,、mm -hmm. that's the skill set that you I, we think these purpose Jedi companies have. Right. But they need to find what they are passionate about. Like, what is the issue or cause that that they really care about? Whether it's climate change, inequality, something like that. And by awakening that within themselves, that's how you become an authentic leader. I think in this day and age, right? Doesn't mean you have to go out there and like shout from a pulpit every single moment. But if you're super clear about what your values are, then it's way easier to then be transparent with your leadership team, with your employees. And so a, a lot of the work we do at Conspiracy is really just like holding up a mirror to the company and going, "Here's what you guys care about." You know, our job is just to reflect it and distill it. Unearth what is already there, as opposed to dropping consultant speak on it, right? I think、uh, Chip, to your point, also it's really interesting. There's a disconnect between executives and frontline workers. The optimism bubble might be executives who are going, "Yes, I'm living a purpose-driven life," and la la la. But when you go talk to their frontline workers, they're like, "No, like we don't even have time for the luxury of purpose. Like I'm trying to just, I'm going to try to get paid a fair wage, like a living wage, exactly, right? So it's important to really,、uh, you know, get out of that bubble and understand how it's working at all levels of the company. Because the truth is, purpose can be a luxury. Like if you if you don't have a safe working environment, if you feel harassed or threatened or underpaid, or you're working two jobs, you don't have time to think about your higher order purpose in life. You're just trying to get by, right? Good leaders really understand that they need to create first of all the working conditions where all those kind of more basic lower order needs. You know, think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. All of those are in place before you start going and talking about this. But the good news is, I think in most Fortune 500 companies, that's there. The people do get paid. They have health insurance, all that stuff. 
And that's exactly where this conversation is occurring, where they're saying, well, why do I feel empty inside? If I've got the title and the paycheck and yeah. what's missing? And the answer is purpose. The answer is of being of service to something bigger. And so I, I think that's where really wise leaders are now thinking about this as being the next competitive advantage. Like one of the great quotes in the book from our friend Max Lenderman is, purpose is the new digital. And it's a very handy metaphor to think about how the arrival of digital transformed companies when it started happening 10 years ago to the point where every single function, every single aspect of a company is now digital. And you think about the same thing happening with purpose, where it's going from the silos of CSR and sustainability and DNI and all these different things are now kind of weaving together into this much bigger topic uh, of purpose and meaning. And, and I think that's where you can embrace it like a competitive advantage, or you can watch your competition do it and sail right past you. Brilliant. So uh, <laughs> you ever heard of Edward de Bono, Afdel? You ever read any yes. of his books? The philosopher, yeah. how to have a beautiful mind, lateral thinking, which is obviously important these days. He always talked about like to be loved. You know, you shouldn't be sitting and waiting for someone to come and love you. You have to go out and love. And you seem to really, you know, symbolize a lot of that thinking. You. you know, you have so much love in your life. How did you become such a great lover? Like you became, you, you know, conspiracy of love. Like where is that Scott, come from? Scott, stop trying to get personal I'm, tips I'm here. Like let it go. Well, yeah. <laughs> Barry White is obviously a great inspiration. <laughs> you know, Help him. It's it's funny. Like people like your company's called Conspiracy of Love. Like what's yeah. love got to do with business? And I'm like, it has everything to do with business. Yeah. Absolutely. You want people to say, I love this product. You want employees yeah. to say, I love working here. You know, I'm not sure if investors are gonna say I love this stock, but okay. It's if a, the return is good enough, they will. If the return is good enough, they will. But like it's there. And I think that's where ultimately this is, is about service and it's about helping other people. Right. Mm. And if, if you can, if we can change this narrative and say, listen, it is possible to have a job that is meaningful. And by the way, having that meaningful job will make you more engaged and contribute more and be more innovative in a way that helps your company become more successful. And in, in doing that, your company then solves the problems of the world. Don't we want to live in that world? <laughs> you know, where yeah, we're all focused do. on doing that. I think that's why you need love as the Kickstarter. You need yeah. to approach it with love to just kickstart that because it's such a massive task. You need a massive force, uh, which I think love is. I think those that's so beautiful. I, I love it. I love it too. A lot of love in this pod today. Lots of love. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk about luck. This day is love. <laughs> love and luck. Those are the two important ones. Now we're going to pause for a quick break, and then we'll be back with our jump ball segment. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. 
Planet Purpose is sponsored by Deo. Deo lets you look wonderful and feel inspired. Deo developed the world's most stylish and comfortable loungewear. Feel it on your skin and you'll smile your way through work, relaxing, vacationing, styling, and profiling. And you'll feel like the beautiful Deo woman that you are. Elevate your loungewear, elevate your life, elevate your Deo. Go to DeoWomen.com and tell them Planet Purpose sent you for a special gift. And we got you. Now it's time for Jump Ball, and we have a special guest. Afdel's going to join us today for that. And let's start with Yolanda. What do you have this week? Okay, we'll start with me. Listen, I have been reading, I have my phone out right now, BBC Science Focus magazine. Mm. And I'm just really trying to understand this whole like thing around early risers and sort of what we hear the benefits are. But anyway, they published an article that's about early risers and night owls. Mm. A neuroscientist explains who is happiest. So whether the people who get up early or the people who stay up late, what do you think drives the highest level of happiness for a person? I'm not going to reveal it. I just feel like people should go read it. Mm. But I think it's really interesting how our behaviors around getting up, tackling the day or staying up late really leads to happiness. So I think it's a pretty interesting read. Oh, that's a oh, great come one. On, come on, Yolanda. Can't you give us a little clue? <laughs> yeah. So we Listen, I'm an early riser. You <laughs> yeah. guys get these five o'clock messages from me and you can see how happy I am. So, hey, you do you do the math here that was a good one yeah chip what about you what do you have yeah this week uh i'm reading a new book and it's actually just released by a friend of mine megan kent i don't don't, scott you might yeah i know megan for sure yeah she just uh, published a book and it's really interesting because she came and met with me maybe i'd say like five years ago she came and sat down and said i have this idea for a book and she was going through it and we were trying to figure out what the the focus was etc and then i just didn't hear anything about it for a long time well lo and behold it's been released uh, she said uh, she works in the branding world the book's called build an irresistible brand and the subtitle is that learn the seven brain friendly branding drivers so hmm. basically what megan did is she went out and literally for years studied neuroscience and sort of the way the brain processes things and came up with some strategies that she's used with her clients for making sort of branding and marketing and everything a company does sort of more in sync with how people's brains actually work. So wow. I'm about two thirds of the way through it, but uh, super interesting and uh, re- really glad that my friend was able to go through this slog of writing a book over five years and, and uh, you know, it's finally come out. Girl power. That's a great one. That's wonderful. And now, Afdel, what do you have for us? Uh, well, by the way, Yolanda, I was intrigued by your question because I'm an early riser, but I'm also a serial napper. So Me too. <laughs> naps in the middle of the day is the hill that I will die on, you know, as, as being kind of the way to be super productive. Uh, so that, just so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp of early risers, but also late napping. I'm your twin sister. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I'm, I'm both a night owl and an early riser. And the only way I deal is by taking a nap every once in a while. There you go. It's the restorative power of naps as a secret weapon, I think, you know, that is underutilized. Yeah. I was thinking about this question about Jump Ball. I just tell you that the person who's been top of mind in the last 24 hours for me is this woman I've discovered called Dr. Lisa Dyson. She is a black female scientist from Stanford, Berkeley, Princeton. She's inventing air-based protein. Hmm. So I just want to talk about this for a second. NASA came up with this way to create protein, like food using microbes and carbon dioxide. I stumbled across this company. It's called Air Protein. And so she's solving two problems at the same time. She's solving climate change because it's carbon dioxide eating molecules and microbes. And she's solving world hunger at the same time. 
I'm going down a deep rabbit hole of watching her TED Talks and everything she's talking about, because this is a game-changing woman with game-changing technology. So please check her out, Dr. Lisa Dyson. Very cool. Very cool. This week, I have something a little different than Professor Dyson and the question of whether you are happy you're waking up or early or going to bed later. I want to talk about something as simple and everyday as butter. Most of us have butter in the refrigerator. There is a difference between butter and butter. You can actually be a happier, more fulfilled person based on the butter you eat. This is a, a research study of one. <laughs> so, uh, But I don't know how many of you ever tried some really delicious butters. I mean, there are some butters out there that are mind-blowing. I know that we are blown away by olive oil, but recently I tried a butter called Beurre de Barretta which is a French butter. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard of Lurpak, the Danish butter. You know, they're yeah. quite good with their marketing. They're also mm-hmm. a delicious butter. There's so many interesting butters out there. And in fact, if you're interested in butter, there's a book called Butter. <laughs> a Rich History talks about, you know, how butter is made. But there are so many amazing butters. And when you taste the difference, it is mind-blowing. You know, there's butters that are unsalted. There are butters that are creamy. I don't know if you've ever tried Vermont cream, creamy cultured butter. Yeah. I yeah. Have. Anyway, I just wanted to make a case for finding a happier you by having a delicious butter early for early risers in the morning. Good one. All right. Well, this has been a great show today. Really fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Afdel, what an amazing conversation and uh, really great insights for the issue we've been talking about this era of employee activism. Thanks for having me, guys. I enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Planet Purpose. I'm Scott Goodson. I'm Yolanda White. And I'm Chip Walker. Planet Purpose is brought to you by Ink Magazine and Strawberry Frog. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. This show would not be possible without the extraordinary support and help of Avery Miles, producer, Brian Cornelius, video producer, Josh Christensen, senior podcast producer, Blake Odom, production assistant, Umama Mahood, marketing director, and Nicola Keneally, chief of staff. 